Welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast. I am your host, Maudie Wollner, a multiple business owner, life coach, busy mom of three, and curious student of life. This podcast is a place for inspired women to gather. Each week, I will share personal stories, quick inspo, strategies that you can implement right away, and engage in real conversations with badass women who have made the conscious decision to live a life on purpose one that they have intentionally designed and that they now demand. No more allowing our lives to be defined by everyone else. No more putting ourselves on the back burner. No more living in a state of default and never going after our goals or our dreams. We are gonna live our best lives on our terms. Living on purpose is our goal and we're gonna get after it starting right now. All right, peeps, this is the part of the show that I get to give you a big old virtual hug and thank you for reviewing the podcast, My Labor of Love. These ratings and reviews seriously mean the world to me. This five-star review comes from J.A. Ben 12. J.A. says, Maudie is inspiring to listen to and the topics discussed are always relatable. Great interviews keep me coming back for more. Thank you so much, J.A. I am so glad that you are loving the interviews because I'm pretty particular about who I have and invite on the show. I know that your time is precious, so I want to make sure the content delivered is super valuable. So thank you. And I would love to hear what you think of the show. Leave a review, and I will make sure to get you a shout-out on a future episode. Amy, welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here. Um, This has been, I think, a dream of mine to have uh, you, our marriage therapist, on to really discuss um, what EFT is all about, what Restoring Connection is all about, and so that I can share with the listeners uh, your, your magic, I I just call it magic, what you do. And so thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've wanted to do this with you for a long time. And truth is COVID has had me kind of at capacity for a while. And so I appreciate patience in inviting me to come on and I'm really happy to be here. And I'm a little bit of an EFT evangelist. So to talk about EFT, I'm happy to do that. And I know that this is going to be one of those interviews that um, my listeners and I will have to go back and listen to because even in that beginning, you said like you're at capacity and you gave yourself um, the option to say not yes, Maudie, for sure. Absolutely. I will do that. Not right now. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us already. So let's just get dive right in because like we already talked about off air we could literally talk about this for eight hours. So we're just going to dive right in. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you personally and mostly professionally. Uh, Yeah. Introduce yourself, please. Okay. I'm Amy Preeb and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm the owner of Restoring Connections Counseling Center, where I have several other um, therapists and counselors who work for me with me. We very much are collaborative and, um, we specialize in attachment therapy, specifically emotionally focused therapy, which is, uh, by Sue Johnson. 
if anyone has ever heard of that before, or if you want to look it up, uh, EFT by Sue Johnson. And we do that because, because attachment theory says, here, I already go. Mom, yep. get I love it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> the premise of attachment theory is that the quality of our life is dependent on the quality of our relationships. Damn. So everything else in your life can be good. Mm-hmm. But if your relationships with the people who really matter to you mm-hmm. are not good, they're not positive, they're, they're rocky, they don't feel solid. None of those other things feel okay. You, you can't bask in the joy of the good things happening when the people who matter most to you, those relationships don't feel solid. Yeah. Right. So we're all about attachment. We're all about relationships and, uh, that's professional. Uh, that's what I do professionally. Um, I'm married. Um, I'm in a combined family. So we have, my husband brought two children into the relationship. I brought three children that's been uh, a circus at times and at other times it's, we felt really proud of ourselves, but we uh, do understand what it's like to, to try to blend a family. That's kind of a funny word to say, cause it doesn't really blend, but um, to try to, you know, bring strands of different families together and, and make something new. And uh, we just recently moved to a property that has a couple of acres and we are basking in the real joy of kind of creating a little bit of a hobby farm situation. Ooh. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're doing now. And let's see if there's anything else. Uh, I've been, I had my first career, I was a junior high teacher. And then in 09, I graduated with my uh, graduate degree to become a therapist. So I've been a therapist since 2009. Okay. So tell us about restoring connections. Tell us about your current practice. So you've been a therapist for, I can't even, how many years? 12, 13? 12, 12, 12. 12. Can you tell us about the journey, uh, where you started as a therapist and why you have landed mm-hmm. in EFT, restoring connections and saving marriages? That's what I keep yeah. saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you had told me in 09 or 10 or 11 that I was going to specialize in couples, I would have asked you what you were smoking. Because, <laughs> because the truth is, is that couples counseling is entirely different than working with an individual. Mm. So if if you're in my office and you're talking about the stresses in your relationship, we're talking about those stresses. Mm. When you bring your partner into my office and you you bring the stresses in with you, right? They're present. They're right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And, and it is really important that as a marriage counselor, that you have specialized training and that you understand that your role is not to be a referee. It is not to be the mediator. Mm -hmm. You have a different role, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit, but Mm -hmm. so consequently, the truth is, is a lot of therapists don't like to do couples counseling. It's very different. And um, it's challenging. So I mean, not that individual therapy isn't challenging, but it's just challenging in a different way that you have to be a little bit nutty to do it. Just like mm-hmm. junior high teacher, you just yeah. you like to live on the edge just a little <laughs> bit. It's the same with couples counseling. Yes. <laughs> you gotta be willing to kind of get in the muck, you know? And so, um, so what happened was, is that as when you're a, a brand new baby therapist and you open up a practice, in the beginning, you're willing to take 
what, what comes to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So as I started working with couples, I very quickly realized that I had no idea what I was doing and that's not okay. That's not okay to have people come to me and realize I'm kind of bumbling my way through this. Mm-hmm. That, that's not okay. So I started looking around for a theory that would kind of put a foundation underneath my work as a therapist uh, for couples. And I went through about four different theories and landing on Gottman, which a lot of people know John Gottman and John and Julie Gottman are really amazing researchers. They've researched relationships for about 40 years now. They have all kinds of knowledge about what what uh, happens in good relationships. They call that the masters. They're masters of marriage and what happens in relationships that aren't good, which they call disasters. Mm. But I so I trained in Gottman and I used Gottman exactly the way that I was told to use it, taught to use it, but it didn't stick with couples. So I had couples going through a whole year uh-huh. of doing this training and in it was it's sound research. It, it please hear me saying positive things about Gottman. Mm-hmm. It's very sound research, but it didn't change how people felt about each other. Mm-hmm. They learned to say words differently. Okay. They learned to to um to be more interested in each other's lives. Okay. But what couples told me was that honestly they were faking it. So they became masters of faking it, faking the interest or following the rules and doing it the way they were supposed to be doing it. Okay. Their hearts had not changed their feelings about each other, their connection to each other had not changed. And so I was despondent. I was absolutely despondent. And I came home one day and I plopped onto the bed and I started crying and I told my husband, I quit. I can't take (laughs) money for something that doesn't work. And incidentally, what was happening at this time is that my husband and I were, we've been together almost 10 years now and we were in kind of, you know, a newish relationship and it was going very badly, very badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the the stress of, of two families and Josh and I are both intense people. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling frustrated that I couldn't help couples and I couldn't help my own marriage. Yeah. And so he said, is there any anything else you can try? And I said, well, there's this EFT, but I've heard about it and it's all touchy feely and I don't really want to do it. And so as we were talking, I told him, I don't remember how this came up, but I remember telling him, I've heard that there is this workshop that you can do that kind of introduces EFT. And we were were in California, uh, living in California, and there was one in San Francisco and we were like, well, okay, let's give it a try. Um, cause we could spend the weekend in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So the already very long version of this is that we went to hold me tight in San Francisco, not as a therapist, but just as, as a couple. Mm-hmm. And it was a game changer. It was a game changer. We came back home. I immediately booked us in EFT therapy an hour away. So we did weekly EFT therapy, three hour round trip, um, mm-hmm. for a year. And then I immediately booked a training, a week-long training called an externship. The closest one I could find was Texas. So I flew to Texas and I got trained in it. And I have been EFT ever since. Yes. Okay. How, what, that was how many years ago? I believe it was 15, 2015. Okay. Got yes. it. Yes. So let's talk about Hold Me Tight. So 
Tom and I went to Hold Me Tight a couple years ago, and we had been doing, we had already landed ourselves in your office in therapy prior to Hold Me Tight, but Hold Me Tight just seemed like an accelerator, like, let's just go do it. And as you said, it's a weekend away. It's a, or at least a night away. And it was absolutely insane to be in a room full of couples ranging from, I would say, 60s, 70s to brand new baby couples that were just so cute. And and the openness and both the openness of, of you and Josh, but the openness of the couples in the room both intimidated me and also expanded my view of, holy shit, we're not alone. Yes. And I remember this one couple that bugged the shit out of me the whole time. It was a man actually who had something to say about every lesson. Mm-hmm. He knew he was probably 65 and they'd been married for, I mean, I could tell you his whole rap sheet because he told us all because he knew it all, right? All the lessons he had something to say. So at the very end of the training, you asked a question like, what insights are you going to take away? Or what did you gain from this? Uh, guess who raises him his hand? Like I look at Tom because, you know, I've been complaining about him the whole time because uh, I got to have something to complain about. can't complain about us. <laughs> so, like, so he said, you know, we've been married for 30 years. I'm like, holy shit, we know that. And he said, and I wish I would have come to this 30 years ago. And I just like, I'm like weeping. And that just made me think, yes, it is never too late. This is so important and so impactful. And even for the, I was going to say men, let's say people who know it all, mm-hmm. there's something to be gained from EFT, yeah. from the Hold Me Tight. It was yeah. transformational. And I have sent multiple friends mm-hmm. to your Hold Me Tight workshops. Mm-hmm. It's, it's transformational every single time and every single time that Josh and I do it together, we grow a little bit in our relationship. It's a great tune up for us every time we do it. And we definitely, as we're in, as we're kind of coming out of the COVID darkness, um, planning to hold me tight is something we're really looking forward to. Yeah. And we will be doing it as soon as we feel like we have the capacity Yeah. So I know I've talked to many people who are curious about Hold Me Tight. So if someone is listening and thinks that may possibly someday be something Mm -hmm. I want to do with my partner, how would they find out about the next one or the one after that or one in five years? Yeah. I think that a great way to always get get a hold of us, because I, I gotta be honest with you, like we've our social media game is a little bit, as my 17-year-old daughter has said, a little bit lame right now. Um, just because I, I'm gonna be honest, like many, many people probably feel this way, but I mean, COVID stretched our capacity. Being a therapist during COVID has been incredibly difficult. And so the things that didn't have to be done didn't get done. So to be sure that you, uh, you you can follow us on Instagrams, Restoring Connections, or on Facebook. And we will be upping our game there a little bit in the coming months. But also, you could always email us and we okay. put a list so that we would send you the flyer when we put it out. And you can email me at Amy P, as in pre, Amy P at restoring-connections.com. Perfect. And we'll put that information as well as your lame social media links in the show notes so that everybody can follow you on all different ways and shoot you an email and say, put me on the list. And I think I I love that put me on the list because it doesn't mean you have to do anything right now, but it's just going to be this reminder that there's this opportunity coming down the road. Yeah. 
So I'm curious if you could share with us, what the heck is this EFT? You mentioned right off the bat, like, oh, it's touchy feely and it's all about feelings and blah, blah, blah. And oh my gosh, that is exactly how I felt the first time. So my therapist as well, my one-on-one, uh, mm-hmm. Mike, he, I believe he does EFT as well. And so I felt the exact same way. I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Wants to know how I feel? No, just fix me. <laughs> Tell me what to do. Tell me what to read. I'm a, you know, I have my to-do list. I can do it. And then I can walk out the door. Kind of like what you were saying with the, your old practice Mm -hmm. where it's like you follow these rules and you're fixed is what I thought therapy was about. You learn these skills Mm -hmm. and then then you'll be fine. So, so emotionally focused therapy focuses on what are the feelings, the emotions, the vulnerabilities that we all have that drive our behavior? And it focuses on what's underneath the surface. I call it the white noise, mm-hmm. right? And you and your partner or you and your child mm-hmm. are having um, some kind of energetic <laughs> discussion about mm-hmm. something. Um, and everybody does that differently. Some people yell and scream. Some people don't yell and scream. Some people kind of stonewall each other. But when you're having a disconnect, what it looks like is not what's really happening. We're, tell not, me. we're not really fighting about money. Okay. So I know what you mean. Explain that. Cause that doesn't make any sense. That did not make any sense to me. In the beginning. In the beginning. I'm like, we are here for a reason. What are you talking about? It's not about money. Right. So when you get below the surface of what people disconnect over, they're really, Sue Johnson says, they're really just a few questions of what's, what's really going on. So maybe this argument looks like we're fighting over money because one person's a spender, one person's a saver. And so, so, you know, somebody spent money and the other person is really upset about that. And the other person is saying, you can't control me. I can do what I want. You know, there's, this is back and forth, back and forth. If we slow that down and we kind of, um, we call it taking the emotional elevator, like down a little deeper, you know, so the person maybe who's upset about the spending of the money, mm-hmm. you say, Hey, what's, you know, what's, what's really going on here? What's, what's happening underneath all of this escalation? Well, I'm scared. I'm afraid of, uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm always worried about money or, um, or I feel left out that my partner and I didn't make this decision together. You know, I feel kind of alone in this. I, I know, so I'm the person in my family who manages our budget. And so one of the money discussions that is a, is a frequent discussion for Josh and me is if I come to him and tell him what's going on with us money wise, and he doesn't seem interested or he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, you know, I kind of know you've got it, Amy. Mm -hmm. I can get really angry about that, Mm -hmm. but I'm not. Uh, it can, and he can be like, well, I don't even know what you're angry about. You know what I'm like? I don't know either. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm really feeling is please don't leave me alone with this responsibility. I need to feel like you have my back, right? We're partners in this and I don't have to carry like the financial burden alone. 
And so that's what's really going on in those conversations where we snip and snipe about each other, mm-hmm. about you weren't. So what, what might happen is I'll say, you weren't listening to me. And he'll say, I heard everything you said. And I'll say, no, you didn't. You were petting the cat. And then we start talking about, you know, we start arguing about whether he was petting the cat or not, or mm-hmm. if he was making eye contact with me. Right. But what's really happening, I've learned now, I can say to him, I need your partnership in this. I need your attention here. And I need to feel like you're understanding my experience. Versus. Versus. You never. Yes, you don't. You always. But I said this first. No, you didn't. I was looking at you when you said it. I have 20 other things on my mind. Yeah. Um, you right, and we then we you start arguing about how you're arguing, yeah, right, right. And what's really going on is when I come to you about money, in I'm I'm coming to you for connection. I'm coming to you for partnership. I'm coming to you to maybe depending on what it is, but sometimes I'm coming to you to say, hey, this is the decision that I'm making for our family. Can can you look at this with me and reassure me yeah. that I'm right thing. Yeah. So, cause in my mind, you would come to therapy with this money issue, problem, whatever. And therapist would maybe talk about budgeting, right? right. <laughs> like, you know, fix the problem right. or, um, or decide who's right. Couple okay. always come with that. Like okay. we want you to mediate and be the referee and decide who's correct. So I'm so glad you brought that up because one of my biggest hesitancies is some past trauma that I had been drugged into therapy with a group of another family mm-hmm. and being let, let know I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when you start with, and tell me if this is still the same, when you start therapy with your practice, you actually do an interview separate one with one with one partner and then another interview with the other partner. I remember going into that um, meeting and it was kind of like a checklist, right? You're kind of asking me a bunch of like rapid fire questions just to know what you're working with. And I started to feel my walk because we'll get into, I'm the, I'm the withdrawer and I felt it instantly. I started to withdraw because it was rapid fire question. And what I felt was, are we trying to find blame? And you said, you, I, cause you're an expert, you could sense my withdrawal. And you said, you know what? Time out. I just want to clarify. I'm going to get the words wrong because I'm sure you've said this many times, but what I remember is you said, I just want you to know I'm not for Madi and I'm not for Tom. I'm mm-hmm. for the marriage. Mm-hmm. And that was so reassuring to me, even saying it, I get a little emotional because my perception of going in to battle to therapy into the muck is someone's going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's never the case. Wow. In EFT therapy is um, because feelings are not wrong. You feel what you feel. Really? And, and so you're absolutely right. Is that when you come to EFT couples counseling, and a lot of our clients are married, many of them are not, but when you come to, you know, relationship counseling, the relationship is the client. Yeah. And, and so it's not, I don't want to be your therapist for the rest of your life. And you don't want me 
ther- your therapist for the rest of your life. You want to learn how to do this so that it doesn't matter what the content is. It doesn't matter if it's marriage or sex or how we spend time or what we're going to do next in our life or making some big decision or having a child who's struggling and how do we deal with this child? It doesn't matter what the external content is. We know how to stay connected and work through, you know, crunchy, gnarly things together. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, um, so I'm laughing because <laughs> was I rapid fire? That's never, that's never what I need to do. I maybe need to slow that down a little bit. It was a while ago and it is what I remember. It is yeah. probably, it's my truth. Right, right. Well, and it, this is a perfect example because it doesn't matter what the reality was. Yeah. It matters that that's how you experienced it, right? I'm asking you these things that are, are vulnerable yeah. and you experienced it as kind of overwhelming. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so just uh, to clarify, when I see a couple, all, all of us in my practice, when we meet a new couple, we meet first with you together. Okay. And get a sense of is EFT gonna, going to be a good match for you? Does it feel like, and once in a while, there might be some reason why it's not, but most of the time it is. Mm-hmm. And then, then after that, we meet with you each individually And we ask you to really talk very honestly and openly about what are the things that you're unhappy with. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to manage your partner's feelings in that conversation. Right. And so, and then after that, we usually almost always meet together as a couple, unless there's some reason not to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it is total. I mean, we've told you this before and it is so touchy feely that you would think it wouldn't be as amazing and magical and effective (laughs) as it is. Um, but me being the drawer and Tom being the pursuer, I call it, well, Tom calls it church. It's very spiritual for Tom. It's very, it's, uh, very special. And I call it the pain dungeon (laughs) 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 because it is like the, it's so hard for me to really express how I'm feeling at times, especially when I'm scared or um, withdrawn. And I wonder if, if, I'm just curious, like, I wonder if other withdrawers think of it that way and other pursuers see it that way. Oh, yes. So let's, so should we talk a little yeah, bit about I, pursuers and withdrawers? Just yeah, to let's do. Okay. That'd be great. So, and I, it's funny, Madi, because I'm remembering the day when you walked into my office and Tom says, man, I love coming in here. It's just like going to church and you look at him like he has three heads and you go, church, it's like a pain dungeon. (laughs) So, so specifically. And it was such a really great way to understand how people are wired different emotionally. Mm -hmm. So in EFT, we loosely categorize people either as emotional pursuers or emotional withdrawers. Now, emotional pursuers tend to be more uh, comfortable with expressing emotion. Now, they might be hostile. They might be porcupines, as I call it. Like they put out their porcupine quills and look at you and scream, why don't you love me? You know, come <laughs> love me, right? Mm-hmm. So, and emotional withdrawers tend to be people who kind of say to themselves, like, if we can just sort of tamp this down, if we can just keep the boat from rocking, 
if we can kind of avoid conflict, everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of pursuers are like, come on, just come on. Let's just put it out there on the table and let's just rumble a little bit. Yes. It'll be okay. Now it's too simplified to say that pursuers do this and withdrawers do this, but but because I've met a lot of pursuers who look different, you know, I'm a pursuer in my relationship. Tom is a pursuer in your relationship. Tom and I behave really differently, right? Yeah. Josh is a withdrawer. Mm -hmm. You're a withdrawer. You two withdraw in different ways. Mm -hmm. Josh withdraws. He never stops talking, but he doesn't physically withdraw, but he moves away from the emotion. He tries to talk me out of my emotion. You know, you're more of someone who does get quiet and shuts. Yes. Leaves, right? Yep. But yeah. Moves yourself from the situation. So I don't want to oversimplify it, but here's a way to think about it. When you're in some kind of disconnect, conflict, things feel really difficult between you and your partner. Do you tend to move toward your partner mm-hmm. or do you tend to move away from your partner? Right. Yeah. And that pretty much sums up if you're a pursuer or a withdrawer. And why is it helpful to know? Because what happens in relationships over time is that we get stuck in a negative cycle. Okay. And so the pursue withdraw cycle, if you're a pursuer and a withdrawer, and I think that the estimates for that are about, about 70% of relationships are pursue withdraw. So um if you Uh, When I pursue my partner in a way that feels um, somehow uninviting to him or dangerous or critical, when he's feeling criticized by me, he withdraws. Yeah. When he Mm -hmm. withdraws, my pursuit heightens, right? And then when my pursuit heightens, what's he going to do? He's not going to say, oh, darling, I can see that you're very upset and you're trying to connect with me. He's going to say, I'm out of here right now. He does it by loudly talking me out of my feelings and telling me why I have no reason to feel that way. A lot of pursuers do it by just shutting down. Yeah, right. I see. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's important because I don't withdraw when we're connected. Right, right. Okay. So when I can, when I can, and I think almost it's easier to see the other, I don't know. Sometimes it's easier to see, you know, oh my God, Tom's like coming after me or I like, I'm really heading to the bath early every single night. I'm really, so when we notice that in either ourselves or our partner, that would be an indication Mm -hmm. that we're in the cycle. Right. So Right. And so let me think how to explain this. Um, What EFT does is it helps you recognize the cycle. And then eventually it helps you understand what are the vulnerable feelings that drive the cycle. They're going to be different for me than they are for my withdrawing husband. Mm -hmm. And then we can attend to those feelings rather than jumping into the cycle, which we draw like an infinity loop. You get on it and depending on how your cycle goes, a lot of people, their cycle goes very fast, right? So we sometimes call it just kind of, you know, getting on, getting on the out of control train. Like you get on the train and it's just going and there's no off ramp. 
There's no way to slow it down. And you know where this is going because your negative cycle, you've done it a thousand times. Right. Right. You, you know, the moves, you don't want to be doing it, but, but it just, that music starts playing of that negative cycle and you just both kind of play your part and it's very disconnecting. Mm -hmm. And so you and Tom have done so much work that you know your cycle, you understand your cycle, and you don't live in that cycle all the time. Mm-hmm. Many people who come to me are living in that cycle a lot, more so than they're not. Mm-hmm. And so they don't know how to connect. They desperately want to connect. Yeah. But like, how do we keep having the same argument over and over and over? Yeah. Oh my gosh, maybe we're just not right for each other. Mm-hmm. Right. But in EFT, we help people see your partner is not your enemy. That damn cycle is your enemy. And you don't have to gang up together against mm-hmm. that cycle. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do some work to understand what's driving that cycle for you. Yeah. Now, some couples are a withdraw, withdraw. Mm-hmm. And that is a little, usually one person is pursuing a little bit, but they both hate conflict. They both like to just sweep things under the rug, go to bed, get up in the morning, pretend like that wasn't happening. You know, it just, we're just going to start. I'm like, that sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up for that one. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You married a guy who's like, come on, baby, let's rumble, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just get it out there. Right. And so, um, but the withdraw, withdraw, uh, nobody is you know, like if, if marriage is a dance floor, this is what Sue Johnson says, somebody's got to be inviting you to dance, mm-hmm. right? So somebody's yeah. got to be saying, come on, let's get out here. Maybe we're going to be clunky. Maybe we're going to step on each other's toes, but let's dance, you know, withdraw, withdraw. If that goes on for too long, mm-hmm. there just can be this really quiet tension and disconnect that is incredibly lonely. Yeah, And so yeah. you can't do a withdraw, withdraw a couple too. In all my time of doing this, I've never had a pursue, pursue. Wow. Well, I just, yeah, <laughs> I just think they, can you imagine there being two Toms? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> or two Amy's like it would not work. Right. <laughs> we, right. Right. First we'd call the police because we'd be, oh my know, gosh. Very yes. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, so I don't see that very often, but. I remember, you know, years ago, uh, one time we were in your office and what we realized was it had gotten to the point we were in cycle for so long that Tom withdrew and you let us know that that was a really dangerous place to be in. And it felt dangerous. It, It felt very lonely, like you just said. And so I just can't even tell you how thankful I am for EFT and for you because we're not, you know, my parents are amazing. They didn't model Mm -hmm. conversation around feelings. And, um, we grew up being trained, Tom and I in different relationship, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, role models. Mm -hmm. And we're not, you know, we went to a a Catholic marriage retreat that really, you know, didn't do much for us before we got married. And then other than that, we're like fed to the wolves. And so it felt so reassuring, so validating, actually. I think validating is the word. This is normal. Mm -hmm. And we, we can get off the train together. Like we can choose the stop and get off. Which is, you know, just to make a quick little mention about hold me tight. It's, it's what a lot of couples tell us 
how reassuring it is to sit in a um, workshop, which by the way, many, many men, some women will say that is their worst nightmare to think about Sunday spending a weekend in a marriage workshop um, (laughs) with other people. But there's something so validating that when something is said about what marriage is like or what that cycle is like, and everybody in the room giggles nervously, (laughs) like, oh my gosh, maybe we're not particularly screwed up, right? Maybe this is kind of what happens, right? And so to understand that most people in their relationship do accidentally create a negative cycle and then to start to slow it down and understand what that is, is so, what is it? It just takes this huge burden off of you. It allows for emotional connection. That is what humans were designed to do, right? We're designed to be vulnerable with one another. Mm-hmm. Sure. You and a lot of your listeners have read a lot of Brene Brown. Yeah. Right? And so EFT is all about vulnerability. It's about, can I learn to trust this person enough to say, when I turn to you for support, you're going to be there for me. When I turn to you in my fragile state, you're going to show up for me in a way that feels really good for me. Mm -hmm. Right. When I look to you and say, do you matter to, do I matter to you? You're going to be like, you bet, you bet. So it's such a human experience to get caught in this cycle. It is such a human experience. And it can be so relieving to find out that other people experience this and there is a way around this. There, there is a way to learn how to be vulnerable. But you know what, Mari? Many, many people did not grow up with the experience of having loving responses to their vulnerability. So we learn not to be vulnerable. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is not because our parents or our caregivers are evil. Right. It's because they never had that experience either. Right. So it's not about blaming your parents, blaming your mom. Like it's not that. But it's to say, gosh, you know what? Maybe the people who raised me did the very, very best that they could, but that doesn't mean that there weren't some places where I needed something that I didn't get. Mm -hmm. Right. I needed to learn some things that they couldn't teach me because they don't know how to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, um, recently, um, our dog got hit by a car. She's okay. Thank God. But our, one of our teens was just, uh, you know, sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And Tom said, it's so hard to see them crying like this. And I said, I am so thankful that my children know how to express emotion because it is like pulling teeth for me when it really matters, when I'm really upset and something big's on the line, I'll sit in your office and it, it is hard Mm -hmm. because I'm not used to it. And I can say I'm getting better at it Mm -hmm. with practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've been very, very brave and and been willing to show up with vulnerability, even though every cell in your body is screaming, Ooh. don't do it, don't do it. I think brave's the, the perfect word. And what would you, because I feel brave when I do it, because it's that scary for me. What would you tell, say to someone who's listening, who's thinking, oh my gosh, that just sounds too scary for me. I don't think I'm that brave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I think what I would say is that that's a very, very understandable feeling to have. And that the reason that EFT works for many people, it has, depending on who you ask and what research you look at, between a 75 and 90% success rate, which is phenomenal. Whoa. Yeah. The reason that it feels that, that it works, the reason that it feels magic to a lot of people is because I, as the therapist, my job is to create this very safe space for you, is to really slow down the process and to allow both of you to feel things that you normally don't pay any attention to because in the busyness and the escalation, uh, uh, the busyness of life and the escalation of the cycle, I might think, you know, I'm just really pissed off at you because you dump all the money woes on me. Yeah. That's really what's happening. What's happening is I feel wobbly. I feel alone. Right. And, and I, and I just, I need you. And yeah. I need to be able to say to you, I need you. And to feel with pretty, pretty good certainty that you're going to say, I'm here. Yeah. Right. I hear your need and I'm here. Right. Yeah. And, and I can just vouch for you creating that space a hundred percent. Well, EFT therapists who have had the training and, and, you know, you need to have had training to call yourself an EFT therapist. We literally do hundreds of hours of training and it is, it's kind of a love hate relationship because, because we're in it with you, right? When you're sitting across from me and you're feeling the fear of opening up to your partner, uh, because that's not just, that's not how you're naturally wired and You've maybe had very bad experiences doing that before. You've maybe tried before and your partner has missed it. Just didn't understand. I'm feeling your fear with you. I'm sitting right in that fear. And to be an EFT therapist, I don't think that you can not be willing to enter in the muck. I I have this kind of not very beautiful um, (laughs) picture of it where it's like, you put on your hip boots, you know, those big hip boots, the waiters or something, Yeah, the waiters, uh-huh. right. And I put mine on and your partner puts yours on and we find the grossest, stinkiest, most like disgusting pond that we can find. And we're like, come on in the water's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. But the amazing thing is, and you know, you've done this, um, when you can allow yourself to walk toward the pain and to to express the pain, to feel the pain, to be vulnerable with your partner. What's on the other side of that is this connection and safety and security and attraction mm-hmm. to your partner like you've never felt before. Yeah. So yes, all the yes. And anyone listening who is thinking that sounds amazing. I'm sure the partner's not listening, right? I listen to podcasts by myself. Tom doesn't listen. So what advice would you give to someone who may be listening? Who's like, how the heck do I invite my partner to practice this with me? How do I, how do I invite my count, my, my partner to therapy? That seems loaded in itself. Like that, you know, the preconception would be like, we've got a problem. Like we're headed towards 
derailment. We're not even, you know, we're about to crash. Well, first of all, let me just make a little comment about, about relationship counseling. Um, I'm sorry. I keep saying marriage. I, words matter to me. So relationship, thank you for correcting me. Yeah. So John Gottman, let's go back to him for a minute. His research has shown that couples go to counseling about six years too late. Okay. They will put up with a very unsatisfying relationship as it's deteriorating um, for about six years before they get desperate. So if every single time that you do that cycle where you go around that infinity loop, it makes a groove, right? If you think of an ice skater on ice and every single time they make that, the deeper that that groove gets, the more likely it is that you are going to slip into that cycle faster and faster, right? It, you, you see it coming a mile away. That might not even be what's really happening in the moment, but you start predicting that this, we're going to miss each other, right? She's going to get mad at me and tell me what I'm doing wrong. And then he's going to get defensive and not listen to me. And what couples say all the time is, I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard, right? That's because... I'm telling myself my story. You're telling yourself your story. And we're not really talking to each other. We're certainly not listening to each other. So one of the things that I would say is I am really hoping that as a culture, we can understand that many of us are just completely unprepared for what it is like to create an emotionally secure, connected relationship. And that's what most people want now. Yeah. Now, you know, 80 years ago when my grandparents got married, they had different expectations for marriage. But our expectation for marriage now in relationships, long-term committed relationships, is that we are friends. We are lovers. We are business partners. We are household managers. We, you know, we do all the things together. We support each other in every way. Most of us want that and don't know how to do it. Absolutely. And so... I hope that there can get to be this like, you know, couples counseling is this training ground where you go and learn how to do this thing that, and then as we learn how to do it, you know, you and Tom are modeling this for your kids. Mm -hmm. And so they may need less training, right? Because they're like, oh yeah, this is how mom and dad solved problems. This is how they prioritize their relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this is what we saw from them. So the idea that, you know, to say to a, to a partner, I really want to love you well. And I don't always know how to do that. You're different than me. And I want to understand you. And I want to know a little thing about you because you are important. And I want to know how to love you really well. And so could we read this book? Could we read the Hold Me Tight book? Could we go to a Hold Me Tight workshop? And I, it just occurred to me that in Vancouver, there's a, um, a marriage and family um, like institute up there and they regularly do Hold Me Tights. I think that that's a really good one to go to. I don't think the border's open yet. But someday. Yep. <laughs> um, or are we at a place where we avoid even talking to each other because every time we talk to each other, we get into that cycle. It's probably time to call, call somebody and say, could we work on this? Yeah. Um, And if you go to a marriage counselor who's acting as your referee or who's letting you play out your cycle, 
yeah. in session and is not able to stop it uh-huh. and help you do something different, yeah. then that's probably not someone who's going to be overly helpful to you. Yeah. You mentioned the referee and that was a, I wrote that. I actually wrote that down because I've, it's never been that referee um, implies battle it, it, uh, versus a game. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. And I can say, you know, I just reassuring the listeners that it, yes, we come in in cycle at times, not all the time. Sure. At times we come in in cycle and we never stay there. It never ends up being about what we thought it was about. It was just so always <laughs> yeah. so much deeper. Yeah. 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 Couples often come in in cycle. I think sometimes just the anxiety of the session coming mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I always joke around with people and say, Hey, I appreciate so much. You're having a big blowout right on the yeah. way. Because now, now we can say, this is what happens when you're not in my office. Let's yeah. figure out what's driving this, right? Yeah. Let's figure out what's really going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I could keep talking to you for ages. Is there, is there anything that you want to make sure you discuss or you impart before, before we wrap up? Yeah. I'm looking over my notes here and, you know, we've gotten through like one twentieth of them. So. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But that's what I said. We really could talk about this all day. Yes. There is something that I want to say. A romantic relationship exists in the emotional connection. Mm. That's what makes it a romantic relationship is our hearts hopefully are open to each other in a way. And if you're in a monogamous relationship in a way that we don't open our hearts to other people, Mm -hmm. if you're in a non-monogamous relationship, there still are parameters, right? We, we make these agreements about who, who we, I would say, trust Mm -hmm. with our vulnerability. And so when very often people come to me and they say, we do so well together in business. We're even maybe good parents together. And um, we've been successful in all of these other ways, but there's just something missing, right? And what I have learned is that when the emotional connection is not strong, nothing else can make up for that. But when the emotional connection is strong, it can make up for a whole heck of a lot. You could go through a bankruptcy. You could have a a sick family member. You could have really unexpected things happen. But when the emotional connection is strong, it's Mm -hmm. like you and me against the world. Like we can withstand whatever's going to come because what we provide for each other is a safe haven. Yeah. Right. We provide each other this nest that we go out into the gnarly world. Yeah. Eat up a little bit, but we come back and I know you've got my back. Yeah. Right. So it's everything. The emotional connection is everything. And I think that's what we've learned and why we've really committed to lifelong therapy sessions. They're not scheduled. They're not, but um, knowing it's like this preemptive, like we're hedging our bets a little bit, knowing that shit's coming down, you know, knowing that our parents are going to grow old, knowing that nothing is certain. No, you know, knowing that, I mean, we just had a pandemic, knowing that shit like that is yeah. going to enter our lives. If we could hedge our bets with the emotional connection, like 
I feel like we can do anything. Well, I mean, yeah, you and Tom are pretty spectacular. So I think you can do anything. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. Oh my gosh. This has been such a gift. Thank you so much. Welcome. I do want to ask you, like I ask everybody before we pop off, um, what does living on purpose mean to you? Hmm. Well, I think COVID like clarified that for me. Um, Living on purpose means living with intention, not being in a coma as you go through life, you know, paying attention to the little things. Like as I'm sitting here looking at you, the garden, the flower garden that my husband planted is blooming and a squirrel just ran through it. Mm. And that just brings me a little nugget of joy this morning. Um, You know, being, being awake, being alive, noticing things, um, really prioritizing relationships, prioritizing time in EFT. We say you have to make your primary primary. So it's perfectly okay to put your partner above everything else at times. You can't do that every day, but, Mm -hmm. but you know, that, that overall, that's the idea. And the other thing, Madi, is, um, I have really over this last year, like I think a lot of people have, um, have really been paying attention to and learning and engaging in social justice in a way that, um, I've always been concerned about that. I've always been interested in it, but I am very intentionally and purposefully, um, making sure that I have black and brown voices speaking to me. Mm. I'm hearing and listening. I mean, I'm a white woman. People can't see me, but I'm a white woman. And understanding that my world needs to be so much bigger and so much more informed. And there are times when I need to shut my mouth and listen to people whose experiences haven't been centered in the world. That's been very, very important for me this year. And that's part of my living on purpose is making room for a lot of other voices at the table that maybe haven't always been at the forefront of my, of my intention. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You've been such a gift to me, to my relationship and thousands, thousands of others. So I just, I'm going to say a collective thank you. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living on Purpose podcast. It has been a blast hanging out with you. If you love this week's episode, please hit that subscribe button. That way you won't miss any future goodness we throw your way. Craving community and connection with like-minded badass women? Feel free to join us in the Living on Purpose Facebook group. And of course, the best gift that you could possibly give is an honest review on iTunes. All right, that's it. Until next time, always keep living on purpose.